Welcome to Descriptive, a podcast in which we find out programmers' origin stories. I am your host, Khalil, and this is episode 18. Hilariously, Isaac emailed me with Raquel Velez. Today's guest is Raquel Velez. She is a senior software developer at NPM Inc. in Oakland. And in her off time, you can find her baking, teaching notebots not to fall off of tables, and speaking. Welcome to the show, Raquel. Thank you so much. I'm super happy to be here. Awesome. So my first question, as always, is how did you get into programming? And in your case, it would be maybe um, into robots and computer science and stuff like that. How did that start for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, once upon a time when I was in high school, so when I was like 14, I was convinced I was going to be a filmmaker. Uh, I was going to be the next Steven Spielberg. I was going to make movies, all of that good stuff. And then uh, when I was towards my later years in high school, I was invited to a local university where the Society of Women Engineers group was giving a presentation. And uh, there were a bunch of different engineers um, at the table. And it was like uh, electrical engineering and environment engineering and industrial engineering and chemical engineering. And then there was a mechanical engineer and she was the last one. And uh, I'm sitting there. I was there because I was invited uh, I was very good at math and science, but I had no desire to do any of that. Like I was like engineering. My parents are engineers. I don't want to be an engineer. I don't even know what that means. Um, I just want to make movies. But the mechanical engineer, when it was her turn to talk about what it was that she did, she she was like, so all of these other engineers, they're great. I'm really good friends with all of these women, whatever. Uh, but I built a robot. And I kid you not, she she took a robot from underneath the table and just put it Bam, right there on top of the table. And I was like, oh my God, <laughs> people can do that? People can build robots? This is a thing? Because <laughs> I'm coming from the world of movies, right? Where, where robots are just a figment of the imagination. It's something that special effects. It's not real. Uh, but here, here it was. Here was a real robot in front of my eyes. And she told me how it, well, she told us, how basically it navigated through hallways using light. So you would flash a, a flashlight and it would, it would follow the flashlight and everything like that. And I was like, well, this doesn't sound too hard. I, this, that is so cool. And pretty much instantly, it was like a, like a light switch turned on for me. I was like, I need to build robots. I need to do this now. And so like that, that same day, I told my parents, Forget the movies. I'm going with robots. And <laughs> it, just from that point forward, it was, it was all robots all the time. Um, now, I should, I should say that the robot part, I was convinced I was going to do mechanical engineering. And I did. I, I got my degree in mechanical engineering. No computer software at all. Like I, I did programming, but it was as a means to an end, right? It was just, this is the thing, this is the tool <coughs> I need to use to make these robots smart. But what I really care about is actually building these robots and making them move around and all of that stuff. Um, but then I was on the DARPA Grand Challenge team, which uh, was this huge, at least in the U.S., uh, competition for researchers around the country to build a, an autonomous vehicle that could drive like uh, several hundred miles 
and um, by itself. And so I was on the very first team at my university. I went to Caltech and um, I was, I, I showed up on the first day and they, they said, okay, well, we have three teams. There's the, the mechanical team, the electrical team, and the software team. And everybody went to the mechanical teams and the electrical teams. And there was nobody on the software team. There was like one other person. And I was like, well, I feel really bad for the person on the software team. But everyone else was like, I have never programmed before, so I can't be on the software team. And I was like, well, I have programmed because I've been playing with robots for a little while now. But it's, it's, it's not my passion. I don't really care that much. But anyway, so I, I went on to the software team. And that's when I started to learn about things like um, how to how to use uh, software or versioning control and like how to think about architecture of, of applications and how to bring multiple inputs and, and come out with like different types of outputs and, and all of that stuff. And I wasn't very good at it, let's be real. I'm, I was terrible at it. None of my software actually ended up on the robot at all. But that was kind of like my introduction to like real software programming, at least in the robotic side of things. And as I continued in my, in my studies, and then even after I graduated from university, I did a lot of programming. It was just a lot and a lot of programming. And then eventually, I got tired of the robots, only because uh, the robotics field is extremely competitive. And in order to be really, really good, you really need to go and get more education. And I just didn't want to get a PhD. I was like, I have PhD students, at least in the US, it's like you have one project and that is your project for a billion years. And I have project ADD. I like cannot work on the same thing forever. So I was like, this is just not going to work for me. I cannot do a PhD. Um, and so I was like, well, I've been building robots for a while. The internet's fun. How hard can that be? How hard can it be to be a software developer? It, I'm sure it's pretty easy. And I was totally wrong, of course. Because I was like, I, sh I can totally be a front-end developer. That's what I want to be. And that is like, at least to me, one of the hardest, <laughs> one of the hardest options oh, yeah. in all of, of, of internet development um, or internet software development. Yeah. But, um, but anyway, so, so. So hold on. So, so for, for, for first, uh, that, yeah, in, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that was a lot Ask of information questions. in there. <laughs> Just a few minutes. I haven't even gotten to the part where I started actually doing software development for the internet. But okay, interrupt me. Ask me questions. Yeah, I just <laughs> had some uh, a few questions. So, um, first of all, was there any affinity uh, before you saw the robot from that uh, mm -hmm. engineer woman? Did you? Yeah. Because you were talking like, okay, robots. I don't know you from films. Were you planning on making films that had robots in it and stuff like that? Were you like in a sci-fi kind of thing? Um, well, so I was, I was really into, into movies that, like, that stretched our understanding of, of reality. Like, I'm not really into sci-fi. It's weird to say that. Like, so I, I know I just totally contradicted myself. Um, but I don't like space. I don't like space movies. Space in general just doesn't really excite me, which is hilarious because I worked at NASA for a summer. <laughs> but, um, but, but I really like the idea of... So, like, do you ever see the movie Her? Uh, uh, with, uh, it, was, it was the movie set in Los Angeles in, like, 50 years. And, like, the smog is, like, so thick. Everything is gray. But basically, the, the whole point of the film is is the main character falls in love with his computer. Yeah, yeah. I, I tried to watch it, but I didn't, right. I didn't I honestly didn't manage. I didn't. That's fine. 
<laughs> That's totally fine. Okay. I was on an airplane when I watched it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but um, but like that sort of movie, the 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 okay. notion of 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 just stretching our our ideas. And so I guess it is kind of science fictiony, but um, to me it's it's more altered reality. Just uh, like going a little bit further into the future, into what we understand as our current like way of thinking. Um, mm-hmm. So, so robots totally fit into that. Yes, right. Like just this idea that robots are part of our worlds, but they're not as big a part of our worlds as we have, like, as as they could be. Yeah. So, what would it be like when they are more part of our worlds? Like that that kind of thing always really fascinated me yeah no it makes it makes total sense because because robots they're exactly at that verge thing because robots are a reality already but in a relationship in relationship to people they're just only mm-hmm. now slowly becoming something i think so that would make right. a lot of sense uh, for you to be like super fascinated in this okay um yeah okay i understand <clears throat> and um <laughs> Okay, so so this whole stretch that you so you you went through university and then, uh, and then you did your was was that like you made a master's or something the, the thing before the PhD you didn't want to do the PhD so, you, you... um right so yeah so I actually started a master's program okay. in robotics um, and I I I dropped out <laughs> I dropped out after my first semester because I was like this is this is just not working for me um, I I just didn't really it it wasn't it wasn't as fun for me like there's just so there's there's the different parts of of any sort of academic pursuit right like there's the the super academic side of it where you're studying and studying and taking exams and studying and studying and writing papers and all of that and then there's the the experimentation side where you're just kind of playing around and seeing what comes out and and having fun in like different kind of ways, and and it doesn't have to necessarily yield a paper. It doesn't have to doesn't have any tests involved, like like exams rather. Um, testing is important. Testing is very important. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it, it was it was really very much. I really liked the experimentation side of it. I liked the fun part of it, and I did not care for the exams. I didn't care for the studying. I just mm-hmm. wanted to play. And learn the things I needed to play with the thing that I wanted to play with right now. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. was a, it was a. I don't want to have to learn differential equations for differential equations' sake. I want to yeah. learn differential equations as I'm figuring out how to build a proper state control for my, oh, for yeah. my robot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the, I, I I'm very much more way. application focused. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, but so you you knew uh, this all started when you were 14, right? So you knew from yeah, the age I mean, of 14 that you wanted to do stuff with robots. So did you, did you actually start reading about this stuff then? Or, or how did that go? No. Well, so, so actually, fun story. My, so I, I mentioned both my parents are engineers. They're, they're chemical engineers. And okay. uh, there was one time when I was about 12 or 13 that my father sat me down and he said, I'm going to teach you how to program because I think you would really like it. And I said, okay. And he said, let's build a calculator. And I looked at him and I was like, why, why would we build a calculator? I already have a calculator. It doesn't make yeah. any sense for me to build one of these. And so instantly I was bored and said, dad, I'm just not, I'm not interested. Mm-hmm. And that, that was kind of like a really important moment for, I think, me and my dad in the sense that 
he realized that there wasn't that that approach wasn't going to work with me and he was out of ideas so we just kind of let let it ride and i think to him it was just a really amazing uh opportunity or just kind of twist of fate that i went to that that engineering uh event where i came back and i was like oh my god dad i need to program because i need to build robots <laughs> i need to learn this yeah. programming thing now um and and so now he was very excited uh, about it but up until up until that moment and and I went to that engineering thing when I was 17. So, so oh, okay. like there were, there were a good like three years between like when I started high school and, and before I finished where I, I was just kind of in this kind of middle land. Like I was really good at math and science and I really liked math and science. Um, but I also really liked film and I was like on the filmmaking team. Like I, I started a club and we made some movies and it was super fun and uh, I loved that. Um, but mm -hmm. I haven't made a, I haven't, I haven't touched any film editing software other than like iMovie in probably 20 years now, <laughs> 15 years and like, and like it's been, it's been more than 15 years since I, I've tried to make my own movie really like I haven't, I haven't, I, I, I switched and never looked back basically. Okay. So that's pretty much out of the window. I mean, it's not over yet, but I mean, I've no. got, I've got got some years left in my life i could maybe <laughs> well, sure of course yeah um yeah if you don't fill it up with front-end development uh, definitely right uh, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah okay um so so you went to, to caltech that is a university in california yes. i guess yes yes okay. it's uh it's the california institute of technology it's like mit but warmer because <laughs> mit is in boston <laughs> And which is cold and sunny or and snowy in in the winter, and Caltech is uh, it's in it's in Pasadena, California, where it's nice and warm, and uh, the sun shines, and there are palm trees, but otherwise they're pretty much exactly the same. Just MIT has a bigger name because they have a bigger marketing department. Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so how I, I'm sh so I would guess that. There wouldn't be a lot of uh, female robotics students, is that correct? Um, at Caltech. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I think I think just kind of across the board, there weren't very many women in engineering, uh, right? Just in general, uh, but in robotics specifically, in robotics specifically, I think there were pretty few. I mean, we didn't have a robotics major, like a concentration. We it was just mechanical engineering, and there very weren't very many women in in my mechanical engineering classes. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's something... pretty much me and the guys. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Did that did, did that bother you, or was that okay for you? Was how did that go for you? Um. Well, I mean, at first. At first, they didn't really notice because they didn't care. I was very yeah. much just, hey, I, you like to play with machines. I like to play with machines. Let's all play with machines. It's cool. Um, when it started to get annoying, though, was when uh, we would be working on, on homework or something like that. And I would have the answer, but no one would ask me. Like, I, I would say, hey, I have the answer. And they'd just look at me like, no, no, no. <laughs> you can't possibly have the answer. And they would ask the other members of, of our study group. And then when they finally found the answer, like an hour later, 
they would say, what answer did you get? And I said, I have the same thing. <laughs> they were like, oh. My oh. God. <laughs> it, it, I mean, it's little things. It's little things like that. Um, yeah. But so it, it, did, it did start to bother me after a while. But I mean, you have two options, really. It's you let it get to you or you, you work past it. Like, yeah. And uh, for me, it got to me a couple of times, but then I had to say, you know, I can either let it get to me and then stop doing this thing that I really, really like, or I can figure out a way to move on and keep doing the things I like to do. So right. um, that's kind of been my driving force. Ever right. Since. So, so, <laughs> so you, you, you moved through that. And then, um, so when exactly was that transition that you made to, towards internet software development? Uh, that was, let's see, I started programming in Node in 2012. Like it was, so okay. it, was, it was very, very late in 2011 that I said, all right, let's try, this, let's try this internet thing. And you were done with studying. Did you get a job or what did you do? Um, so, so I left my master's program in 2009. Uh, at the end of at the end of two thousand nine, mm -hmm. early two thousand ten, and then I got an internship in robotics mm -hmm. in 20, 2010. and then uh, I went and worked at a startup. Um, I was working at a startup that I, honestly they we didn't nobody really knew what they were doing. Which granted, that's kind of a startup in general. <coughs> but in this one, I was I was actually the CTO of this startup, and I was like. This is an internet-based startup. I, I know technology. I'm a roboticist. Like, this, this can't be that hard. <laughs> and it was impossible. I had no idea what I was doing. What was, what was, was the startup doing? Um, it, was, it was an internet uh, community for women of, of Hispanic origin. So basically trying to bring lots of women uh, from Spanish-speaking backgrounds to kind of come together and talk about things that they were really good at like um it basically was trying to be like a blogging community mm -hmm. um, and it was it was built entirely in wordpress which if you know anything about wordpress you know the number one rule is don't touch core mm -hmm. only touch plugins mm -hmm. and we farmed out all of our all of our development to uh, to another group outside of the u.s and they would send us back the code and it was they had completely changed core. Mm -hmm. So we could never upgrade. And I was like, I don't understand. Why is this so hard? <laughs> and a lot, of it, a lot of it came down to communication. A lot of it came down to just not knowing what I was even doing. Mm -hmm. I didn't know very much about WordPress at all, except like how to blog with it. Um, and, and so there was a lot of stuff going on there. It was really interesting. It was a really good learning experience. And ultimately, we ran out of money. Um, which is why we, we kind of shut down. But um, it was a really good learning experience for me to say, okay, I know nothing about, like I, before I didn't know what I didn't know. Now I know that I don't know anything. <laughs> there you go. So, so now I would like to learn as much as I possibly can hmm. before I try to do something like this again. So okay. I've been basically spending the last several years learning Everything that I don't know, except that every time I learn something new, I find out that there is even more I don't know yet. <laughs> right. So, so how did you go about learning all that stuff? Like, what, what, what was your first kind yeah. of... Yeah. Yeah. 
How did you do that? So, so the first thing I did was when I said, when I made the decision that I wanted to start learning Node, uh, or uh, sorry, I wanted to get into web programming. Right. I, I knew people in the town that I lived in. Um, I didn't know what language to learn was kind of the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Like I already knew C and C++ and Python from robotics. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I don't think you can make web pages in C++. So <laughs> let's find out what I actually need to know. And so I started by looking at, um, I, I sat down with a bunch of my friends who were in the web <coughs> community. And I was like, what language should I learn? And a lot of them said, well, learn Ruby, learn PHP. Um, and, and I was like, okay. And, and then I started looking at job descriptions, actually. I, I looked at the different companies in town and looked at who they were hiring. And a lot of them had uh, different, different kind of, um, in their job descriptions, they would say, you know, must have uh, understanding of JavaScript and HTML and CSS, mm-hmm. must understand how this works and that works and blah, blah, blah. And I used that. I started that out as like, that was my list of, here's what I need to know. That's a good trick. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, it was really, the, but the only sad thing was that at least this one company, their job description had 40 bullet points of things that I needed to know to be able to get a job yeah. as, as a developer at that company. And I just looked at this list and I was like, I need a job now. <laughs> I know none of these things. Um, but, but asking around the community, I found out about one company in particular who was kind of heralded around the community as the, quote, coolest company to work at in town. So I, I basically, I emailed the CEO and I said, hi, you don't know me, but I'd like a job. Um, can I talk to you about it? What would I need to, uh, can I take you out to coffee and, and talk about what would be needed for this position? And, and he was actually really nice. It was a smaller company, so that was a little bit easier. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, call up the CEO of Siemens and say, how do I get a job at Siemens? Um, but this was a, a smaller company, and I was able to get a, have coffee with him. Mm. And uh, he, at that moment, he said, well, what we're hiring right now is Node developers. If you know Node, we will probably hire you. Hmm. And I was like, okay, then I will learn Node. <laughs> <laughs> like it was it was just that simple i said fine i will learn node okay so then i went online and really started looking up what do i need to know to know node and node at that time this was 2012 mm-hmm. or actually late 2011 nobody knew what node was mm-hmm. node was this brand new thing and um so i just i just started playing around i did whatever tutorials i could find uh Felix Geisendorfer, I don't know if you, if you know who he is, yeah, but he wrote kind of an early Node tutorial. Mm-hmm. And I followed that thing to the letter, just copying and pasting and copying and pasting and doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I just started asking lots of questions. I joined the Node IRC channel and I did this and did that. And I, as soon as I felt like I knew at least something, I applied for a job and at the, at the company and they turned me down. They said, we appreciate that you are trying, but you're not good enough yet mm-hmm. uh, to be hired on as a full-time developer. And I was crushed, totally, totally crushed. Mm. Um, but I kept going to meetups and I just kept showing up to different, like there was the, the local JavaScript meetup and I would go and I would ask questions and just constantly asking all different questions everywhere. And then they, 
another one of the kind of head of engineering sort of at the company sent me an email and said, we're starting an internship program. Would you like to be our first intern? Mm. And it was only, I think, because I kept showing up to all of these things and I kept saying, hi, I want to know this. I don't know it yet. Can you please help me understand? Yeah. And so they, they knew me. They knew my face. They knew my name. They knew what I could do, even though I wasn't working in the industry yet. And um, I became an intern at that company. And it was supposed to be a six-week internship. But by the end of five weeks, they said, hey, do you want to be a full-time junior developer? And I was so excited. I said, yes, of course, of course, of course. Hmm. Um, and it just kind of, it went from, that's how it started. So I, I, was, I was an intern, and then I was a junior developer, and then, uh, and then I went on to my next company where I became a developer, and then, you know, da-da-da-da-da. Right. So what, what, <laughs> what, what, did you, uh, what did you learn as an intern there? Like, what was the kind of work you did? Yeah, so it was, it was a consulting company. So it was the type of company that had a bunch of different clients and every client wanted something different. So I learned, I learned, I actually learned how WordPress works and how to build websites on WordPress. Okay, so no I Node. Learned, well, there was a little bit of Node. Okay. I also did a, a project with Node and I learned a little bit of front-end development and I learned back-end development. And um, I even started playing around with a little bit of PHP. Uh, didn't, have to worry about any .NET or uh, or Python or anything like that, but it was I basically did Node and and WordPress for um, for the time that I was there, mm -hmm. and then I really liked Node. I actually just really really liked it. I went to I went to a a, a NodeConf summer camp mm -hmm. uh, conference, and that just kind of meeting members of the community and learning a little bit more about what this this uh, it's not really a language but this platform was up to and, and how it was growing it just fascinated me and i started making friends in the node community and i was like i want to do node full-time mm -hmm. and um they the company that i that i started at actually where they said we're we're only hiring node developers eventually realized that node was just a little bit too new for them and they end up moving more towards uh C sharp and .NET, and I was like, "Well, this isn't going to work for me." And they were like, "Well, we don't have very many Node projects for you to work on, so it was time for me to move on and move on to another company where I could do more Node full time." And with the exception of one company, I've done mo Node full time ever since. Okay. So, what kind? Yeah. What kind of companies were the were those then? Was it was it mostly startups or? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I, basically, at that point, I decided I should probably move to San Francisco if I want to do Node, uh -huh. um, because there are just so many Node, uh, so many members of the core Node community were living in San Francisco and, and Oakland at the time mm -hmm. that I, I said, okay, time to make the trip to San Francisco, time to move out there. And um, Where, What did you live so, before? Uh, before that, so I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which... Um, yeah, and I, my husband and I, we were like, yep, let's go. Let's go to California. So we went out west. Okay. Wow. <laughs> and, um, and, and yeah, so, and here in the Bay Area, it's, there are so many startups. And at the time, Node was slowly, like, seeping into the enterprise companies, but it wasn't quite there yet. Um, and... <clears throat> I was, 
I, I found a job at, at a startup. So it, it's been, I've only worked at startups really, uh, small companies and startups. But now that, that Node has gotten into the enterprise, um, it's a lot easier to find a job in Node at like, you know, Netflix or Walmart or uh, PayPal or whatever. If, if you wanted to work at a bigger company, you could. Mm. Um, but I mean, I'm... I'm working at NPM, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Well, so so how many startups did you work at? Was there anything? Was was there uh, you know a, a startup that you particularly liked, or where you learned something really cool, or something like that? I mean, let's see. So I worked when I moved to California. I I worked at Storify, which was oh. all Node, 100% Node. Um, and that was really interesting because I got to see every single side of, of a Node application from start to finish. Like they did everything in Node, including everything like their deployment scripts were in Node, all of their, all of their operations were in Node, um, front end, back end, all 100% Node. Uh, but it was a monolithic app. It was absolutely huge. Everything was one app. Mm. Um, and and for for good reason, right? They started using Node when Node was at 0.2, hmm. which it's now at 0.12 officially, and then there's the IOJS stuff. Um, but at 0.2, like that was really early on. So they were figuring out how to build a Node application with everybody else. They they just you know didn't know. And and I think now it's much more modular. But at the time when I when I joined. It was just this massive, massive application, um, and, and it was fascinating. I, I got to see what what worked and what didn't quite work, and I got to play around with different things, front end, back end, all of it. I got to be I got to be kind of pretty full stack, and then hmm. um, and then after Storify, I worked at Sauce Labs, which is a, a testing company, and I didn't actually do very much Node there. I was I was working on the mobile team, trying to hack into mobile phones so that people could do uh, mobile testing using Selenium on real phones as opposed to just emulators. Mm. Um, and so that was, that was a really interesting thing, but it wasn't Node at all. Mm. Uh, but it did give me a better understanding of embedded systems and um, kind of like the, the Unixy, Linuxy kind of really being on the command line digging into things like I got to learn about LXC which are like containers we tried to use docker but docker was too new at the time mm -hmm. so we had to stick with the traditional Linux stuff but that was fascinating because I didn't know any of that before hmm. um, and then and then after sauce labs I joined NPM so okay. where okay. now it's full stack node again but now I'm doing even more like now I know everything from, like, I just got added to the ops rotation. <laughs> okay. So, so like, I'm doing everything from, from the front end to the back end and everything in between and, um, and, you know, all the way down to the operations level. So it's really cool just constantly learning, learning, learning. So how did you get into NPM? Like, did you, did you send, a, did, you, did you email, well, I, is it Isaac? Isaac was a... Isaac, yeah. yeah. No, so... <laughs> So hilariously, Isaac emailed me, oh. um, and and I was actually the very first. I was employee number one wow. at NPM. Really? And um, I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that I went to conferences and mm. uh, people got to know me. So like when I said I went to that conference, 
the NodeConf summer camp and made friends in the Node community. Like I really did make friends in the Node community. I wasn't, I wouldn't say that I was really, really good friends with Isaac at the time, but, but we knew each other and we knew of each other and we knew kind of like the ethos that we each kind of worked at. Um, I'm, I'm very focused on, on like, you know how, how people are, are like specialized in certain things. I'm not specialized in anything. I would not call myself an expert in anything except maybe Node in general. Um, but not even at the, at the, like, I'm not, I haven't contributed to Node Core. So I couldn't tell you how Node works at the deepest, deepest levels. But I know enough about how to work on a Node application uh, that you can throw me at anything. Any problem that you have in Node, I will tackle it. Uh, no problem. And I also really care about community and I care about um, how a, a company functions from the inside and out. And I think a lot about, I'm very well-rounded as, as far as being like a, a team member goes. Hmm. And so I think Isaac saw, like, knew that about me and, and thought, okay, if I really want to build this company right, let's have somebody who isn't necessarily an expert in any one thing but can really speak to all of the different parts of a company and, and all of the different parts of, of an application. And, um, and we just have started growing and building, like the next couple of hires were also more generalists. And then we've been starting to add on more specialists as we grow. And now we're like, we're hiring a, a whole bunch of different positions now and they're all very specialized like we need a support person a marketing person mm. a web person you know specific sorts of things um well that must yeah, have been so, that must have been very exciting to join as the first employee right i mean oh yeah you start you built you built npm with with isaac then basically yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean so like, I mean, there the, were the, the, the there were the, the three co-founders yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like there were three co-founders, and then there was me. But right. Um. But, but still, still, like, still, it's, it's really early. It's been amazing to watch this company grow. Yeah. So <laughs> tell me about it. What? What? Uh, how was it? Yeah. Well. So when I first started, you may remember, uh, NPM was super unreliable. Like, mm -hmm. basically, you would you would run NPM install and maybe 20% of the time it would work, <laughs> like, or 40%. Like, like, at any given moment, it might not work. And you knew that that could be the case, and it could be that the registry was down or whatever. And so for us, operationally, NPM was on fire. Mm. It was just absolutely on fire. Um, I was there for a week, and then CJ, our, who's now our director of engineering, uh, came on board. And so she's also been there from the beginning. Mm. Um, and we have just watched this company go from everything is on fire, the community only, like, they like us in, in, a, in a, like, yeah, NPM is great, it's a good tool kind of sense, to now we have virtually 100% uptime on our registry. Mm -hmm. uh, people love us. When we wear our shirts at conferences, people run up to us and they're like, oh, my God, NPM, do you have stickers? Please give us stickers. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so great. Uh, but it, it's been really cool to watch this company figure out how do we go from just being this community tool that Isaac built on his, in his spare time into a full-grown company with funding and HR policies and uh, hiring and all of that stuff and, and just really watching us figure out, well, 
what are the pieces that matter and how do we figure out which which tools to work on next and what what's our product roadmap what's our engineering roadmap how do we how do we handle things like technical debt like mm-hmm. when do we do releases what's our what's our policy on going home you know like <laughs> Some, some places, if it's the night before the release, everybody's expected in the office and you get dinner and you get breakfast mm-hmm. and you do not go home until after it's been released and everybody is sure that nothing is on fire. Mm-hmm. Well, we decided to do things a little bit differently and we all left at 5.30 the night before we released Private NPM, which is hilarious. Like we all went home <laughs> and we went to bed and we had a little timer on the website to change everything so that the banner went up mm-hmm. and... Like, it was all automated. It was all great. I mean, of course, there are major trade-offs, right? Well, we got to go to sleep. We also had to say no to some of the people who cared about what we we were going to release that day. Like, there were people, there were some things that we had to say, we're really, really sorry. We know you wanted that, that that thing in this release, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't get to happen. Ah. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, like that we've hit a cutoff deadline, Yeah. but any new features after this deadline don't get put in. Yeah. Well, but that, so. that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it keeps people sane and healthy. Yeah. The people that, <laughs> yeah. that yeah, work on that stuff. So I think that's, that's really, yeah. that's great. Yeah. So yeah. that was, that was just recently, right? That, that release private yes. repository yes that was uh that was just a month ago yeah just exactly. a month ago i just i just so. uh, i feel like i saw a blog post just a few weeks ago so do yep can you just explain what that is sure absolutely so in the same way that um if if you use github there are public repos and there are private repos and private repos are ones that you only get to share with people that you want to share with, whether that's no one or with certain people, whereas a public repo is visible to literally everyone. Um, And so up until about a month ago, every module that you published to NPM was uh, public. It was available, visible to everyone. But there were a lot of people who said that they wanted to have private repos or private modules. They wanted to be able to restrict the number of people who could access that module and only and, and and not show it to everyone publicly and that's so that was kind of the first thing we decided we wanted to build as like our our first big feature of npm so now the way that that works is you have we have scoped modules so you would say like at username slash module name and you can they're private by default but you can make them public as well um and uh you only pay for private modules. You don't have to pay for public ones. Right. And one thing that's a little weird is for, I think for some people, is that our pricing is a little bit different from GitHub's in that it's $7 a month, but it allows you to have an unlimited number of private modules because the, the node ethos is many small modules. Right. And so to have... To, to charge people per module would just be ridiculous because yeah. then people would just start making monolithic modules. Exactly. Um, but the downside, of course, is that then in order to add somebody to your private module, they also need to be paying users. So that we're still figuring out the best way to make that work. Um, our next major feature is going to be orgs. 
so that you can have an organization and have multiple people in the organization all be able to access each other's private modules without necessarily having to pay for yourself. Mm -hmm. um, but we're figuring that out. Like, like I said, we're, we're only a year and something old. So we're, right. we're figuring out how all the pricing needs to work and, and all of that stuff. But for the most part, uh, we've gotten a lot of good, positive feedback on, on private modules and, um, you know, I think, I think people are really excited about orgs, though. Okay. <laughs> That's going to be the Companies, next Companies, basically, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you, did you have, a, a, are you happy with the, the amount of signups sign you got so far? For yeah, so far, yeah, definitely. So far, things are, are going pretty well. Um, we, we have started giving out some coupons. I don't, I don't have a coupon code for, for the listeners, but um, if you look at the NPM Weekly, we have a little newsletter that goes out every week. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's, one, there's a coupon code there. And um, cool. yeah, so you can get a free month just to try it out okay, if, that, awesome. if that interests you. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely going gonna to link it up. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah. So today I actually, um, there was a blog post on NPM, um, uh, yeah, on NPM dot, npmjs.com is it, is it? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. There was a blog post about um, how to use or how to make a little command line interface um, module with Node and how to use NPM and how to use NPM run or NPM, the, mm -hmm. the scripts property um yes uh, in the package json and i actually I've, i lo i love that about npm that you can that you can just run little scripts and that you can do all basically everything that people now learn to do with grunt and gulp and stuff like that that you can do basically you can do everything just with npm i really love that and in in, in uh, but that's just an aside but in that blog post it was kind of recommended to use Or if you make your own um, module to make to make a scoped module, right, with your username, mm -hmm. and um, so I was wondering, for me, it's a, is that is that kind of now, is that kind of a recommended way to do all your modules to to make them scoped so that you could make them private if you wanted to? Um, I think I think it really depends on what your goal for the module is. So, the benefit of scopes is that. Let's say you want to write a module called Express, mm -hmm. but obviously the name Express is taken. Right. Well, now you can have at username slash Express, and it's your personal Express version. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's something that you know is, is something that you want lots and lots of people to use, like if you have a utility type thing that you want it to be global, like really global, then you can go ahead and, and just use just the package name as, as your package name. Um, you know, foo or whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you ever have any plans to ever make it private, then yes, keeping it as a scoped module is definitely your best bet. Just because global modules, i.e. without the scope, will never, ever be private, ever. They will always be public. Mm -hmm. So it's, it comes down to just kind of your personal preference and, and how, how you want to like think about your project. Um, I personally, I'm, I think, I, I, I don't want to say like any sort of one size fits all. I think, I think it is safer to start out with a scoped one just because then you, you know that the, the name is not taken. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, it's, it's really up to you. Right. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm, uh, I guess that's going to that's gonna confuse people. 
And maybe a little yeah, bit. Yeah, well, I mean, I think I, I, I think it comes down to, to what you want. Um, I, I think yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't hugely matter. But of course, as a scoped module, you can make it private and you know that nobody else has taken the name. Yeah. So that, those two reasons alone, I think, are really good reasons to, to make your modules scoped. Yeah. And then uh, if you know that it's starting to get more traction, then you can move it over to a global, but you would have to basically get the new name, right. uh, the global name, and, and ah, then publish okay. to that. Okay. I didn't know that yeah. you could add that you can change to a to a global. Okay, that makes well. Then it doesn't matter. Then you can just do whatever. And then yeah. But could you yeah. change from a global to a scoped one? You can, but so keeping in mind, so like when you when you change your package name, mm -hmm. um, it doesn't it doesn't automatically redirect. Right. So yeah, yeah. So you would have to basically create a new, like hypothetically create a new package. Mm -hmm. You'd have to like change your package.json mm -hmm. and then publish as a as a different module name. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, absolutely, you you could you could you could switch it over. But then anything that you make public, uh, especially on on the global scale, like it's very difficult to undo that mm -hmm. and make it private. That makes sense. Yeah. So going from private to public really easy. But going from public to private, really difficult unless you change all of the things that, you know, if, if you accidentally publish your AWS key, I mean, right. there's not much we can do for you there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so, so this is the, f this is the first big feature that has been released? Correct. Okay. And Correct. before that, what was what were you doing? You you already mentioned that you you were able to do a lot of different jobs. So, what is what was the the biggest more like the most interesting things for you personally that you did so far? At at NPM specifically? At NPM, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so the website was pretty big change. I don't know if if, mm -hmm. if you If anybody who was visiting the website a year ago uh, would have seen that the website was really ugly. <laughs> and now it's much prettier. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's true. It's, um, so the, the original website was a, a special snowflake framework, basically, that Isaac wrote from scratch. Um, mm -hmm. And the new website is using Happy, uh, which is uh, mm -hmm. like Express, but different. And um, yeah. so our, our, the website, so that was like a huge, it wasn't a product, right? Like we, we made no money off of it, but it was a huge release for us. Um, so changing the entire design and the entire back end, uh, that was really, really big. Uh, we added a little mascot. I don't know if you've seen the little wombat. He's super cute. Uh, yeah, um, I did. <laughs> and then, <laughs> uh, but then... So from the website perspective, that was, that was probably the biggest thing that I worked on, uh, just kind of making that happen. And then, then the private did you modules. Reuse, but did, then, did, sorry, did you hmm? reuse anything um, of the old code? Um, we did. Like some of the logic still, well, was in place. I think we've, we've changed most of it at this point. I mean... Everything, all the routes still are exactly the same for the most part. Right. Um, all the logic is still there, like when you want to browse packages and, and things like that. Um, but the, the actual code itself, a lot of it has changed. Just architecturally, it's a totally different site now. 
Um, yeah. So cool. we didn't we didn't keep very much of it. No. But it, it was it was a very iterative process, right? The first step was write the exact same website in Happy, just make it exactly the same, make it look exactly the same in Happy. And then the next step was add the new designs, and then after that was you know changing out the architecture and and just slowly iterating and iterating and iterating. And we're still not done. There's plenty more to do. Um, yeah, sure. But but yeah, so. So that was the who, biggest who thing the that I worked on. Okay, so did, you had you were you were heading you were heading that whole project project up, or did you yes. build most of it, or both? <laughs> oh, okay, both. <laughs> uh, when when we decided to to make the switch over to Happy, I was the only person on the web team, and right. um, and so we contracted out the design from uh from another from a design company, and mm. then we. We brought on another uh, web team member, and then um, and, and so he he was a little bit more on the front end type side of things with like more design skills and things like that. And so he really helped with the moving, keeping everything like the design intact in and and moving things forward and making sure it was much more usable for users and and all of that stuff. So, but it was, it was very much a, a team effort and, you know, so here we are now. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. what did you use in the, in, in, in the front end? Did you, did you use um, like uh, CSS pre-processing and stuff like that and uh, yes. Browserify as a, maybe? Or yes, yes. So we, we definitely use Browserify. Uh, we use Stylus for our CSS pre-processor and we use mm -hmm. uh, Handlebars as our, as our templating language, um, just to kind of keep things kind of fun and flexible. I wanted to use Jade, cool. but there were there were internal politics. <laughs> Basically, oh, no. our, our CTO our, our CTO refuses just doesn't like significant white space. He's he's very much oh. an HTML purist, and so okay. we we compromised because he wanted to use EJS, and mm -hmm. I said no. And okay. I said, let's use Jade. And he said, no. So we compromise on handlebars. <laughs> okay. So, but it's fine. I don't even, it's what fine. is EJS? I don't know EJS. EJS is like, just imagine it's like handlebars, but it's even more, uh, it allows you to have a little bit more logic in the template, which mm -hmm. I, I, I used to think was a good idea, but now, now I think I think the the front end or the the HTML should be as dumb as possible, and all the logic should happen in the controller. So handlebars is is for me a better option because there's there's only there's just enough logic to be useful, but no more than that. Um, so you can kind of like switch between two different options based on how the page loads, but but not much more. Like it has ifs and elses um, and for loops, but yeah. nothing more than that. Whereas in EJS, you could actually write like JavaScript in in the okay. in the like in the layout, which I mean. But you you sort of can very. do that with uh, handlebars too, right? With uh, helper functions and stuff like that. Right, right. With helper functions, but we tried to yeah. do as little of that as possible now. Just, okay. but just because 
we want it we want things to be clean and and knowing where the logic hangs out it it's really difficult when you're when you're working on a large scale application to to remember where like oh so where where does the formatting of this thing happen right like when we're taking it out of the database it looks pretty ugly how do we clean it up so that we can put it out onto the front end and make it into an object well should it be mm -hmm. The template that does that logic or should it be the controller that does that logic should it be the model that does that logic and to me i think all of the real logic should be in the in the controller it should not be in the template maybe it's in the model maybe but it should really at least to me most of the logic should be in the controller but we can argue about that over a drink some other time <laughs> 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 and do you do you have any significant um, client side JavaScript, or is is basically everything back at, uh, uh, service side yeah. and happy? Everything is almost everything is is server side and happy. I mean, there is there is some. So when you are on uh, on the website now that we have private modules and scoped modules, you can actually add and remove collaborators. Uh, for your packages oh, yeah. on the website. And so that's actually done with pure like jQuery and JavaScript, but, but we use Browserify. So like we have lots right. and lots of JavaScript, but we've, our client-side JavaScript, but it's, it's nice and modular thanks to Browserify that then it mm -hmm. all gets thrown together and minified. But we have not, like we've, we've thought about, we've had some internal discussions about whether or not to bring in something like Angular or React, but we haven't gotten there yet. Like when I first came on, I was the first person to add jQuery to the project. Up until, mm -hmm. up until I showed up, there was no client-side JavaScript at all. So okay. um, yeah, so, so we've, we've, we've been slowly moving more towards more client-side JavaScript, but you know. Okay. <laughs> cool, sounds good. And, and so uh, now you said you're, you're moving into, uh, into some ops uh, stuff? Yeah, well, so, um, yeah, so as, as the team grows, so as of, I don't know, probably within the last few months, we have, so right now we have, we have four, five teams at NPM. So we have, we have the, the C team, right? So like the CEO, the CTO, the COO, but then we have the web team, we have the registry slash ops team, we have the CLI team. And then we have a support team and kind of a marketing and developer relations team. And it, for, the, for a long time, the ops team was in charge of operations for everyone. So whether it was um, the registry needed help, the ops team was on there. If the website had a, a memory leak, the ops team was in charge of it. Um, but as we grow and as we add more members to the web team, it's going to be more difficult for the ops team, I think, to, to, be in, like, to be watching everything. And I like the idea of having more of the web team knowing, being in charge of when the website is down or when the website is leaking memory or whatever. So I'm, I'm starting an impetus to make sure that the web team also learns enough ops to handle any web operation issues. So, um, so like, if for whatever reason the website goes down, we should be the first ones 
to try to tackle it. And if we can't, then we can we can bring it up to the we can push it up to the ops team. But um, just as like a starter, and and the the benefit of this, of course, is that as we scale, then we can we can maintain that kind of issue. And and because ultimately, if there's a memory leak, who's going to know what the code looks like best? It's going to be the web team. So mm. I just kind of want to make sure that the web team is is available and able and capable of handling at least the web ops. Um, I, I'm not going to worry about the database going down. That's not, like, I'm going to worry about it, like, from, like, uh, an, an empathy kind of way, but I'm not really going to worry <laughs> about, like, I have no idea. I don't know Postgres. Like, uh, maybe I'll get there one day, but right now I'm just, I'm just learning enough ops to be able to handle website operations. Yeah. And um, we all know that NP NPM is like the the biggest or, or the fastest growing ecosystem. I don't know if it still is, but uh, at least it used to be. And mm -hmm. with what kind of uh, growth are you dealing today on the website? We are, and... yeah, we're experiencing exponential growth. It is oh, unbelievable. Okay. We had oh. um, over the last month, we had... Uh, a million unique visitors to the website, um, wow. which again we're not we're not Facebook level yet, but that's it, it's not just a little community side project anymore. This no. is definitely it's growing like crazy, and it's amazing. It's absolutely incredible watching watching the site grow. I mean, our biggest issue right now is not even so much that, that the like our our registry is not falling over at all. But we do right. have to be aware of how many people are hitting the registry every day so yeah. that we can add more machines as needed or figure out how do we continue scaling this. The website, right. Node is so great for uh, high-intensity websites that we have two machines in production right now. That's it, just two web machines, and we're handling all this traffic no problem. Um, wow. But at some point, we're going to need more. <laughs> So, so yeah. just thinking about that and, and preparing for it. Um, and that's very much what our ops team is thinking about right now. Like they're focusing on how do we make sure that we can continue to scale? Because we've scaled so far, easy, no problem. Like honestly, the operations team is bored because we have nothing failing really. Okay. <laughs> that's so good. It's, it's pretty nice. Yeah. Do you do, I, I know with uh, languages like PHP and stuff, you have, always have to have some caching layer in front of the website. Do you have something like that with, with Node websites as well? Or is it just like, Absolutely. Okay, no problem? Yeah, no, so we're, we're definitely, so on the website at least, we cache in multiple different ways. We have, hmm. um, we have so whatever, whatever caching your browser does, we, we can't control that. Um, but... From the website perspective, we cache a lot of information that doesn't change very often. So like your user profile when you log in, we cache that data obviously mm -hmm. in, in, in secret so like nobody else can get that data. Um, mm -hmm. but we cache it. We cache a lot of the registry or the, the package pages. So the rendered, um, we're, I'm about to put, put up a push for caching the rendered readme for when you visit a package page so that it doesn't mm -hmm. have to render every single time. Um, mm -hmm. And we use Redis for all of those caching. And then also on, um, at the, the VCL layer, like we have, 
we have caching at the um, just kind of the highest level uh, for our, like assets and things at our CDN. So our CDN does does caching um, okay. yeah. of, of assets, right? Like we're not going to change the picture of the wombat too often, so that can get cached. Right. Um, right. And so, but we've definitely used caching to to help speed up the website a lot, a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's still it's still slower than I want it to be. I want it to be even faster, but we're working on it. <laughs> okay, how do you plan on on doing on doing that? Um, just figuring out what what can be cached, what can't be cached. Uh, yeah. One thing we're going to start doing is um, trying to so like the hardest problems in computer science are like naming things and then like caching, oh, right? Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> like when to invalidate the cache, right? So exactly, yeah. one, one thing we're working on is how to invalidate certain caches on the website when a user changes something in the registry. So we've got a registry right. follower that kind of like watches when changes are made to the registry. That's one of the benefits of Couch. Um, yeah. But then having event, like basically being event driven to say, okay, when something changes in Couch, then uh, in our database, then invalidate this cache for this package, for example, so that when you publish the latest version of your super awesome module, then as soon as you go to the website to make sure that the changes are there, that they are there. Because right now we have like a five minute cache mm-hmm. so that, I mean, because people don't publish nearly as often as people uh, install. So yeah, of course. Um, yeah. yeah. So so things like that. I want, it, I want the user experience to be really, really fast and easy and snippy. And, and I want you to feel like you can publish something right now and immediately go to the website and know that, that everything went through fine. Because right and, now you have to wait like five minutes. Yeah. And, and do you, um, for instance, if something, if nothing changed in the readme, but, you mm-hmm. know, but there was some push to the, to the code um, of the mm-hmm. module, do you then um, still keep the readme and then just only have like the stats updating or something like that? Or do you just render the whole page again? We, we render the whole page. Yeah. Um, just it, it's pretty cheap to render the readme as long as we don't render it on every single page load, which is what we currently do. Right. do. So my, my new patch is going to make it so that it doesn't. <laughs> so right. that it's, it's a little bit faster. Um, but, then, but then another thing that... that like we'd like to do is make it so that you can edit your readme without pushing any new code and that i think would be really nice really nice because a lot of people get really annoyed when they have to publish a brand new version just because their readme had a typo in it and i feel really bad for them but but how how would that go how most people have have their code on um on github as well so they Mm -hmm. so that wouldn't go back to yeah so that would Right. So there's, there's no perfect situation, no. <laughs> but at least, but at least, you know, I mean, yeah, but, but you, you can also hypothetically... just, so, sorry. Uh, uh, so you, but, but it's true. You could just, just, uh, only use NPM as, uh, as your store, the storage of your versioning of your code, basically. Yeah. Right. For, right. for some reason, or... I thought everybody always has a GitHub, uh, as well as like your NPM, but that's just kind of because I'm used to it like that right but it's not necessary yeah right right and there's also nothing stopping you from updating your github and updating 
the package or the README only on on the on the NPM website without yeah. publishing a brand new version, right? Because like your GitHub SHA and the version in NPM don't necessarily ah. have to be right. Like like your cool. header on GitHub doesn't have to be the same as the thing that's in NPM, which also yes. causes people some issues because they'll push a new version to GitHub and they'll be like, why is everything broken? It's not working the way I wanted to. It's like, did you publish a new version? Oh, oops. <laughs> no, yes, that of course, it makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to have a whole new N uh, version of your NPM or your Node module mm -hmm. if you just have to change mm -hmm. like a typo or something like that. That's uh, right. That makes sense. Okay, is, is there anything else uh, cool that people should know about NPM? I mean, NPM loves you. Yeah. That's all. That's, That's all. <laughs> and, and you have... We you really, have... we honestly... Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, I, I just wanted to say that, like, NPM really would not be where it is today without the community. So we, we care very, very, very much about the community. And if, if it ever doesn't seem that way, let us know and we will fix it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very cool. It's all very, uh, it seems all very uh, transparent and uh, a lot of people of NPM are out there talking to people and explaining mm -hmm. what's going on. So that's great. Definitely great. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you have stickers wherever you go, I guess. Right. So that's yes. also a plus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. So I think we're ready to move into the picks. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I would like to go uh, back and forth. So what is your first? What is your first pick? Um, so I, I picked some, some silly things because I'm Good. silly. Um, so the first one is peepresearch.org. Uh, peep as in P-E-E-P. -E -E so I don't know if, if you have them elsewhere, uh, but in the U.S., right around Easter time, they have these big marshmallow ducks. I don't know if you've seen them. No. But they're called peeps. Okay. Anyway, there it's it's perfectly American. It's marshmallows covered in sugar, and more sugar. <laughs> marshmallows are made out of sugar, so yeah. it's it's just the perfect American thing. <laughs> anyway, there's this there's this group that this website is so old. It's like got to be ten, maybe even fifteen years old. But um, what they've done is is they've taken these these peeps, and they've done silly things scientifically to them so like they'll put them in the microwave to see what happens or they'll they'll dunk them in vodka and then light it on fire um they'll it's just silly things that you can do to these sugary treats um and i, I love it because it's like the guise of science it's it, it's this this idea of science with something so very silly um and that is that is that 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 is me in a nutshell. Like I'm extremely scientific and academic, but if I'm not laughing, it's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, cool. So what happens to those peeps? They uh, like explode or melt or what happens? I mean, to you're, you're going to have to go to the website to okay. find out. Right. right. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's, it's really fun. It's really fun. Anyway. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, so uh, my first pick would be NPM, and uh, I'm not just picking it because because um, because you are a guest on the show and you work there, but because because of this blog post today that that I came across. It's um, it's called "Building a Simple Command Line Tool with NPM," and it is by 
Also, a uh, it, it is by a what's where's her Lynn Lynn Clark is that her name? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And uh, and it's a cool little tutorial on um, basically how to run some tasks just with NP uh, just with npm. You don't need to install any uh, 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 tools with a, that that start with a G and um, <laughs> <laughs> and and for some reason I'm super. I just love that. I just, I, cause the story for me, the story was like, I got, I got into, um, like automate, automating tasks and stuff like that through, through grunt. Grunt was like, I didn't know what node or NPM really was. There was just a grunt and it was like, wow, we can do this in the front end. It's fast. It's it like, it, it takes away all this crap work because I mean, who would ever like, People that work at agencies or make little websites or or build uh, sometimes people who build uh, products even they would never minify their JavaScript before Grunt. It was just all like it was just like requests, tons of requests and tons of files would be uh, would be requested in in those websites because it was just too too hard. Like nobody uh, because mostly there's like lots of pressure on the on the on on. Um, deadline pressure and stuff like that and you were just you know throwing it together and uh so when this that stuff came came along it was just uh just amazing for a front-end developer to be able to do this and to, to do it with javascript and quickly and all this stuff so 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 grunt was there it was really i was getting into it a lot you know writing plugins and stuff like that and then the whole gulp thing started and they were like oh grub sucks it's too slow we're we're great we do the streaming thing and da 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 da, da. and all that time there was a sub substack over there um you know, mm -hmm. kind of yelling at everybody. It's like, NPM did this already. And, and, <laughs> and there was this blog post and I saw the, I saw the blog post. It's something like um, use NPM as a build tool or something like that was mm -hmm. a task runner. And I saw it and I was like, wow, this is too complicated. Like who, like as a front developer, uh, you kind of, I, I felt like, okay, you need gulp or grunt as, you need this nice, you know, like a nice API that's kind of similar for all the different uh, modules and stuff like that to to actually get into it and to to know uh, to actually try automation and stuff like that. And then at some point, after all this, uh, the the gulp hype was over. I I was sitting at home and I was starting a new project, and I just had a few things to do. I just wanted to concatenate some JavaScript, use Browserify and do something with with sas and and that was it basically have a little live reload server and i was just like okay am i going to use grunt am i going to use gulp oh my god i need to install two modules and then i have to do this configuration uh isn't there a better there must be a better solution for just you know a few things and then i re remembered that blog post from substack and then i went through that thing and i just built my little those tasks i just put them into my package json i was just so happy that I can just do it right there <laughs> there's nothing else there's no abstraction around the tools about uh, around the modules and stuff like that and I just I also got more into the whole node philosophy and 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 and, and I thought it was just great that you have to basically understand the node modules in order to use them in your package JSON and there's nothing that protects you from that like grunt kind of protects you from because it wraps around those node modules and um, so I'm a, I'm a big fan of 
of using just npm for those things because i also think that it makes programmers better programmers if they do that because it's just closer to node so that's why i'm picking npm awesome <laughs> <laughs> what is Yay. your second pick <clears throat> um so my second pick is uh it's a website uh called js4cats.com mm -hmm. and it was created by max ogden who uh, was a pretty big member of the Node community. Mm -hmm. But basically the idea was to put together a website that, that shows you the fundamentals of programming and programming in JavaScript specifically, that in a way that, like the joke is so easy that your cat could learn how to do it, right? right. And, but I, I love it because there's, there's a, a, a sense of whimsy, right? There, there, there's the, the funny, Mm, this is silly, like it's for cats. But at the same time, it is actually really useful. And I've, I've introduced this to a lot of different people who don't necessarily program at all. So like there's, there are lots and lots of tutorials for how to learn how to program, how to program a new language if you already know how to program. And there are a lot of tutorials for how to get into programming in general, sort of like if you do like codeacademy.com or uh, Khan Academy or whatever. But yeah. This, this tutorial is just kind of a nice introduction that's really easily understood. It's well-written and at, at a high enough level that you can kind of understand what's going on, but deep enough as well that you can actually start applying the things that you learn. Hmm. And specifically for people who, like, I, I get really annoyed when people are like, oh, wow, you work on computers. I can't do that. And I'm mm -hmm. like, actually, you can because right. a cat can do it. <laughs> See, <laughs> it's so easy. A cat can do it. And I know, I know that, that programming and, and web development in general are actually really, really difficult, but you have to start somewhere right. and just getting people excited without having to bring in any of the politics, without having to bring in any of the, the frustrations of, oh my God, like, which do I choose react or do I choose, uh, you know, uh, knockout or or ember or whatever like angular what which do i choose it doesn't matter just like yeah. learn how to program because it's fun and um try it out like it, it's it's such a nice and easy fun way to get started that if it if it still doesn't interest you after reading how cats might learn javascript then that's fine you don't right. have to learn javascript you don't have to code but at least give it a try mm -hmm. and um i just i like it I like it for that reason. It's just an easy thing to point to to say, here, try this out. If you like it, tell me, let, let me know and, and I'll give you more things that you can look at. We can go deeper after that. So. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that's great. I actually, I, I saw that he did it. I, I, it passed mm -hmm. me by on Twitter, but I, did, I never really took a good look at, a look at it because I, I kind of dismissed it as a, oh, this is silly and he likes his cats and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I um I'm definitely going to have a closer look at it. Yeah, cuz cool. I think this 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 is uh it's a good point that you made, I think that um that basically everybody, you know, if, if they want to, they can get into it because when you break it down at the lowest level, it is easy and all the all the things that that get added on top, they're also all little things that are easy, but then when you 
when you have to look at the whole thing, then it's complex and then it's daunting and stuff. So right. it's good to have like a starting point like that. Yeah. 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 Okay. What's so your next pick? Yeah. My next pick <laughs> is um, it's, uh, it's essential oils. I don't, do you know what that is? Yes. Yes. Because okay. um, um, I had, we had to reschedule uh, just last week because, because I had a problem with my tooth and there wasn't like an inflammation around it. And I got the tooth fixed a year ago and the, the, the dentist said, it, you know, it's going to be a little bit iffy maybe and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But so it got, it got to that point and, um, and I didn't want to go. I wanted to to try to 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 let the inflammation just to um you know as I, I, I said I'm gonna stay home I'm gonna let this thing heal off by itself I didn't want to go to the dentist right away, and um and so I I told so my parents and my mom gave me this essential oil it was um so essential oils oils as far as I understand are basically uh, oils made from plants but they're very highly concentrated. And right. this, this specific uh, essential oil was uh, made from clove. It is in English, mm. right? And, yes. um, and um, so she gave me that thing because it's good against, it's good to kind of, it dampens the inflammation, if you, if you have an inflammation. And also what it does at the same time, it kind of numbs, it numbs you. Like, so, so that you feel less pain. So it's like a, it's, um, what is the, that's, it's a, like a painkiller, but it's totally, yeah. it's a hundred percent natural. Like you have no chemicals in your body and you just put some on your gum and then it, it was amazing. Like this really, it, it helped me so, so much. It was really, it was crazy. Like you put this thing on your gum and it really, you feel how it's numbing it. And, and it really helped me with, with the pain. And it also, I felt like it helped with the, with the inflammation a, a lot as well. So that was just amazing. I definitely, um, and there are lots of different essential oils for different kind of things that you might have that can help in, in or, or support you in your health in, in many different ways. So that's definitely a big pick for me. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's the next one? Uh, so my next one is Slack. Slack.com. Yeah. Slack the just... Um, I have, I'm actually a member of 10 Slack orgs, which is ridiculous. Yeah, I've, I'm getting I've been, too. I've been, I'm, I've just, I've just started like closing a bunch of them, but, um, <laughs> but it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing because of Slack. Like it, it's weird to me because I think a lot about social media and how we connect to people. Like I was just thinking this morning as I was brushing my teeth that if it wasn't for Twitter, I don't know that I would be in the position that I am right now. Like, I don't think I would be on this podcast necessarily. Like, if we only talked to the people that we talked to on Facebook, how would, how would you and I have ever met, right? Like, it was, right. it was because of Twitter that you reached out to me. Like, you reached out to me on Twitter, and then we moved to email and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. um, and so Slack, to me, is kind of, it's kind of become the new, the new way for me to meet people in a meaningful way that is specifically centered around something specific, right? Like, so I am, I'm a member of, I started a Slack channel for uh, people who like to do crafty things like uh, sewing and knitting and uh, baking and things like that. Mm -hmm. And it's been absolutely fascinating because most of the people in the group are also in tech, but we mostly spend our time talking about 
uh, how to how to make a, a, a duck out of fabric. Uh, and, and then every once in a while, we'll talk about, oh, yeah, I'm going to a conference this weekend. What do I do? <laughs> like, like, it was really interesting. But then there was another another Slack channel that I was a part of that. Uh, so I went to New Zealand a few weeks ago for a conference and I don't know anybody in New Zealand, like did not know a single person. Mm-hmm. And there was a person on this Slack channel who was from Auckland, which is where I was going. And she was like, hey, let me know when, when you arrive, we can have lunch. I'll introduce you to a few of my friends. Like, it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, that'll be fun. And I, I kid you not, she brought like 10 people to lunch and I immediately had like this group of friends for a week. It was so cool that I, I met somebody on the internet through means that had no relation to anything that like she and I would not have crossed circles necessarily hmm. for any other reason except for this one Slack channel and, or a Slack organization. Mm-hmm. And because of that, we got to be friends and now like she introduced me to her friends. And so for the entire week that I was in New Zealand, like they took me around, they showed me around, they, we went to a donkey sanctuary. Like it was hilarious and awesome and amazing. <laughs> and I, I just, I, I, I really, really credit uh, being able to have that kind of environment that Slack has provided. I'm sure IRC is similar, but there is just something, something better about Slack, I think, because it's just, it's, it's not as ephemeral as IRC. Like you can, you can look at it on your phone or on your computer or whatever, and all the logs are there and, um, it's, it's by invitation only. So you don't have to worry about trolls and it's, uh, nice i like it a lot yeah slack is is amazing i i I joined um just recently no no i didn't oh yeah i joined the there's the open tech school conference coming up uh, in in germany and uh it's the first conference for the from the open tech school and um and so they opened because of the conference they opened the slack organization and i checked it out and was like wow this is really cool so um, basically i also i also started an organiza- organization for this podcast and mm-hmm. it is actually we we are using this uh slacken uh thing that you that you can install on heroku so that anybody can sign up if they want to right so yes. so so far we have five people we're five people in the organization which is uh it's turned out great so far <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh uh no but it's amazing i think what what i find is uh is great is that you can do stuff like you can uh you can post like a code snippet and it's gonna yeah. and you can choose code highlighting and then you can and it's gonna be up to the to, to the side if you want to and people can comment on that uh, specifically and the comments on the code snippet they stay with the code snippet and mm-hmm. you can also you can also post like a document where you can write uh, with markdown you can write a markdown doc- document it will be rendered as html or as text basically and people can comment on that i don't know if they can collaborate on the document itself but um that's that's crazy like this is really yeah it's really uh just amazing for productivity and stuff like i really yeah really enjoy it yeah, definitely. Definitely. Right. So my third um, pick is a website called First Aid Git. So, oh. yeah. So this just uh, scrolled 
across my uh, Twitter stream recently. And um, it's really cool because uh, many people really have uh, problems with Git, especially when they start out, start, start out or if they are um, designers uh, often are struggling with Git, for instance. Um, and this is a really cool page where you can just go and you can um, you will find a lot of uh, FA. It's basically an FAQ page for Git, and you can and it's searchable and it's just, uh, it's it's really cool. Like it's it's it looks nice and it works well. And there are really some some um, there's just really good information and, and just questions that come up all the time that need that that people need answers to. Because I mean the the Git documentation is can be a little bit difficult. Um, and a little bit uh, too technical, maybe how things are explained. I think, even mm -hmm. on the the Git SCM website. So yeah. this is this is a really cool little page, for, especially for beginners and, uh, well, not not even yeah. For, I think for everybody actually, because Git is just also such a vast monster. Like there's so much you can do with it. So yeah, cool definitely. I've I've found that with Git, so. Fun story. I actually started playing with Git when I was in robotics. And so when I came to the web world and people were like, have you ever heard of Git? I was like, yeah, Git and I are <laughs> friends. It's great. And I found that if you, if you only do certain things and you make sure everybody else does exactly the same things, like you only push and pull and merge or you push, pull with a rebase, and rebase. Mm -hmm. if, you, if, you, if everybody does the same three things, there will be very few problems. It's right. when everybody starts doing their own thing that everything breaks and nobody knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so. super important. Yeah, you need to kind of establish the rules and how do we do Git here? Like this has to be definitely, <laughs> it yeah. has to be talked about. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but it's an amazing tool for sure. Yeah. It's so great. So great. Okay, so right. you, you, you have a music pick? I sort of. Okay, so I'm okay. not as huge of a music fan as I think other people might be. I really enjoy music. I mm -hmm. like singing along to music, but I could not tell you what my favorite band is, for example. Okay. So for my music pick, I chose the Tainted Love radio station on Pandora. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Because cause it, there, there's just something about the like early to mid 80s pop music that just I find incredibly entertaining and is really fun to like listen to while I'm coding or like sewing or doing something fun. Um, and it just it just it, it puts me in the right mood every single time. So no specific artist, no specific song, but just just music from that like that genre, like like 80s pop that isn't awful <laughs> so yeah. that's my music pick <laughs> okay cool <laughs> sounds good yeah that's that's fun for sure there was a lot of good stuff Lots of yeah. terrible stuff. 
as well. Got a lot of good stuff. Yeah. Well. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know. <laughs> um, okay, so my music pick is. So I was I was going through um, like a, I have like a playlist with with stuff I like I like and it's like an older one. So this this track is I kind of I bought it I think a year ago or so or two years ago and it is um, but it's even older. So it is it is an it's an Indian track. It's like an Indian. I don't know if it, if it what kind of like what the genre is. It's just Indian music, and I think it might be Indian pop music. Yeah, I think it's from a from a movie actually. I never saw the movie. I was just um, I was on I was just browsing uh, on Vine I think back then I was browsing around Vine videos and um, and some of the vines there was there was a, a bunch of vines that used this 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 crazy just crazy Indian music uh, like pop track where this is guy singing and it's very rhythmical and it's very super fast and then it comes it goes into like the rhythm there's a like a, a rhythmical part that he's singing that's like super like really that that kind of speed and then and then he goes into like really cool kind of melodies and um and people were kind of making super crazy little seven second vine videos So this is that's the music pick. Like it's it's called uh, it's called Tunak Tunak Tune. That's that's the track. And uh, oh, cool. yeah, and um, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it into the podcast later on. Then I'm sure nice. I'm gonna find some uh, some link to a to a video. The video is also kind of it's 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 a little crazy and stuff. So, but I like <laughs> I, I really enjoy this kind of music. Sometimes it's it's uh, it's pretty pretty awesome and some great like really like how those people can sing. It's, uh, it's yeah. insane. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So that's it. So where, where, can, uh, where can the listeners find you if they want to find out more about NPM or if they want stickers or, or just say hi? Yeah. Um, best way to reach me, 100%, the easiest way and most reliable way to reach me is on Twitter. So um, my Twitter handle is rockbot, R-O-C-K-B-O-T. And... Um, but if you go there, you, you'll be able to find my website, which is just uh, rockbot without the vowels, so rckbt.me. Uh, and that's my website. And you can, there's other ways to contact me there. If you really need to email me, my email information is there. But I warn you, if you email me, I, it, it could take up to a week, maybe longer. <laughs> so the best thing to do is email me and then ping me on Twitter to say that you emailed me so that I know to check my email. <laughs> I'm really bad at email. This is probably one of the reasons why I love Slack so much. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's the best way to, to contact me. I go to conferences all the time. I have been at so many now. Um, so if I'm at a conference and you're at a conference, ping me on Twitter and say, I want some NPM stickers and I will absolutely get you NPM stickers. 
not a problem. I, I bring more than I like more stickers than our attendees at the conference. Cause I know okay. so many people want to like wow. bring more than one home. So <laughs> like, okay. I'll just, I'll just offer you like six. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. Do you have so, any speaking enga engagements coming up this year? Yes. Um, so I was in New Zealand earlier this year, but I will be at Strange Loop in September. And I will be at uh, JSConf Colombia in October. Wow. And I will be in New York City for, I will be a resident, a hacker in residence at the Recurse Center, formerly Hacker School mm -hmm. in New York City in July. And then um, that's it for this year, though uh, who knows what, what I'll be doing next year. Last year I did nine conferences and I was really tired. So this year I'm only doing four. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but four I think is still more than most people so um I'm I I love doing podcasts and I love doing uh you know talking online and, and stuff like that so anytime anybody has a question please 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 feel free to email me I'm happy to help in whatever way that I can if I can't help you I almost certainly know somebody who can so cool. reach out please so so no European gigs this year not this year not not this year last year i went to uh i was at js confu in ireland and i was at oh sorry no, i was at node confu in ireland and js confu in berlin mm -hmm. um and then uh next year i will definitely be back in europe for sure because cool. i can't stay away too long i <laughs> just i love europe too much especially awesome. berlin nice anyway Yeah, cool. I'm going to link up your, your talk from, from JSCon for you as well in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. If uh, You can find uh, the show notes, as always, on descriptive.audio. If you have any feedback or guest requests, uh, hit me up on Twitter at DescriptivePod or um, use the Slack channel. Now you will find uh, a link to that um, in order to register uh, on the website as well. Um, Raquel, thank you so much. Um, that was awesome. Thank you. It's super fun. You're in you're in in Stuttgart. Yes. Very cool. I was in um, I did a, a practicum in in Duis in Duisburg. In Duisburg. Oh wow, cool. And yeah, I got to visit Stuttgart to go to the uh, the Mercedes factory. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Oh, except were you I there made for your studies or something. For yeah, I, I was I was doing like a like an internship uh, while oh. I was in in university and. Um, This is a really funny story. The entire time that I'm at, at the Mercedes plant, I kept referring to the cars as BMWs. <laughs> wow. wow. You didn't make, you didn't I, make like, any friends there. <laughs> I made zero friends. Afterwards, I was like, so what are the opportunities for, for you know, getting a job here? And they just looked at me like, not a chance in hell. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, like I just had this massive disconnect in my brain like yeah. they'd be like we're at the Mercedes plant and I'd be like yes 
but how does your BMW compare to, (laughs) I don't know, there was something wrong with my brain that day. Well, something inside you was just, just didn't want to work there, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Hey, um, congratulations if you made it uh, to here because you will find out about a special coupon code for NPM private modules that uh, Raquel generated just for for the descriptive listeners. So um, if you want to try out NPM private modules, you go sign up for the for the private modules and use a coupon code. And the coupon code is rockbot dash descriptive and uh, you will get one month for free right so sign up use rockbot dash descriptive and get one month npm private modules for free thanks raquel for doing this and i hope you enjoy your private modules <laughs> <laughs>